Sometimes when we think of people in the Bible, people like Paul, we think of people who just did everything right all the time, that maybe they were successful in everything they did. We like to think, oh, if we could just be like those people and just, when they did things, miracles happened and thousands of people came. Well, it didn't always work that way. And that's part of what's going on with Paul right now. So Paul is the man we've been talking about for a really long time, right? About the last 19 weeks in Paul's letter to the Romans. And so Paul was an early follower of Jesus who planted churches, started churches all around the Mediterranean. He also served as a guide and a counselor to other churches. And Rome was one of those churches. He had not been there, but he was writing to them. And he wrote this letter to them to help them understand what the good news of Jesus was. How Jesus had come to make the world right. He was also writing to them about some divisions that were going on in their church. There were some people known as the strong and the weak and Jews and Gentiles and kind of having some difference of opinion, conflict in a church. But one of the things that tugged at his heart was as he presents this story is Paul grew up as a Jew. He was an Israelite. He was a faithful Jewish person. And as he went and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus, who was the Messiah, the one who fulfilled God's call to the people of Israel, he found that many of his fellow Jews weren't listening. They were turning away. The Gentiles, these outsiders, they were coming in, they were listening to this message. But Paul was struggling to say, why aren't my fellow Jews listening? Why aren't they listening? And so we're starting or finishing up at the end of chapter 9 and going into chapter 10 of Romans. So kind of what's gone before real quick in the first eight chapters, it's talking about God's work to restore his people. How people are caught up in sin in this cycle. And God has freed them and given them life in Jesus. And then chapters 9 through 11 are this long section where Paul's wondering about all these promises. What promises? Well, we call it our Old Testament. It's about three quarters of our Bible. All these promises that God made to Israel, all these things that he was going to do to them and for them. And Paul's wondering, like, wait a minute. Are these promises coming true? Is, is God faithful? Because the question that Paul is getting at is Paul's wondering this question. One is because he's concerned about his people, but two, because if God wasn't faithful to his promises to Israel, well, what makes us think he's going to be faithful to our promises now? Have God's promises failed? And so in the first part of chapter 9, we looked at this picture and we've talked about Israel. And this was last week, that Israel exists because of God's work. And God's mercy, that he chose Abraham, this one man, and there was this miraculous birth of Isaac, and there's all these things that God's doing, but God is working to do a particular people. But he's also looking and saying that God's mercy isn't based on any genealogy or status, and so it, we see the thing where Abraham tries to work things out his other way, and God says, no, it's going to go through this descendant. You have a set of twins, and there's nothing to distinguish these two twins, but God chooses one of them. And so it's this picture of how God's mercy works, that God's mercy is what carries Israel along. And that means two things. And so that's just got a quick summary. We've got nine chapters we're blowing through, and then we're going to slow down a little bit. But one is there's hope, because what Paul has painted is a picture of universal disobedience, that everyone is a sinner. But the only thing then to depend on is God's mercy. And what Paul shows in Romans 9 is that God's mercy saved the Gentiles. So if you have this picture of the Jews, the Israelites, as God's people, they're the chosen, they're the insiders, and they, they've got the inside track 
And then there's the Gentiles who are on the outside. If God can save the outsiders, the Gentiles, well, then certainly he can save the Jews. He can save unbelieving Israel. And as John Barclay puts it this way, he says, if God calls those not loved, there is hope beyond the present crisis. If God calls those not loved, there is hope beyond. So if God can call these people who had not been his people, then there's certainly hope now. And so Paul's reminding himself of all this because he's thinking, why aren't people listening? And maybe you've had that experience where you've told people about Jesus or you've known somebody, you've been praying for them, and you're wondering, why aren't they listening? Oh, if I could just be like Paul, people would listen. People didn't listen to Paul either. And so he's getting at this, he's saying, and what Paul wants us to remember and what he's reminding himself, he's writing to the church in Rome, but he's also reminding himself that it's not about what Israel will do, but what God is capable of. What can God do? And there's this picture where God's mercy has kind of rearranged history. It's rearranged everything. But Paul has all that in the back of his head, and that's what works for me, too. It's like, I know these things in my head. I know all the right things, and I know what I'm supposed to believe and what I understand, but then I sometimes look at my present circumstances, and it doesn't make sense. I mean, Paul knows about God's mercy. Paul knows about God's desire to call people. God know, Paul knows all this stuff, but at the same time, he's looking and thinking, but I'm preaching to all these people, and they're not listening. And so he, he's asked at the start of, at 9.30, the start of the passage, Mike read, he says, well, what should we say then? What, what do we get, you know, this is questionable, like, well, what do we do with this? And especially when he looks and he says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. It's almost, he's kind of setting this picture of like, okay, a race, and you've got two runners. One decided to enter the race and run, and the other didn't enter the race, but the one who didn't enter the race wins. He's like, well, wait a minute. How come the Israelites, the Jewish people, they were, they were following God. They were chasing God. They were trying to be righteous, but they didn't get there. But the Gentiles weren't pursuing it, and they got there. Well, how does that work? Well, what he's saying is that the Israel tried to obtain righteousness through the law. And now we hear the word law sometimes, and we're like, oh, yeah. The Old Testament, all this legalism and laws, but question, where does the law come from? From God. Paul never says the law was bad. But what he's saying is the righteousness could not be obtained by the law. The law set them apart. It provided markers. But righteousness, being right with God, couldn't come from following the law. It can't be fulfilled. That's his point. It can't be fulfilled apart from Jesus. And faith in him. Verse 3 says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, they were looking for their own way. They thought, if we just follow these laws, we'll be righteous. They had the right idea, follow the laws. But the law didn't make them righteous. The law didn't set them up to be with God. And so they rejected Jesus. And so... We can think of it this way. They have a picture of God. And maybe we have the same picture of God. That God looks and he works much like we do. That some people are worthy and some people aren't worthy. And the people who are worthy are the ones who get God's gift. 
we see this operate in much of our culture. The way we look and the way things is like, oh, well, who's worthy of getting this thing? And we, we give. And so the picture of God is, well, God gives to the worthy. And the Israelites had in their mind that the worthy ones were the ones who followed the law. But what Paul is reminding himself of and reminding us of is, no, righteousness is found only in the one who fulfills the law, only in Jesus. And so that's where God's mercy comes in. And again, John Barclay, he says it this way, he says, the problem with law-based righteousness, in other words, trying to become righteous by the law, is not that it epitomizes human self-reliance. In other words, the problem with the law isn't that it's like a way about pulling yourself up at the bootstraps. That's not the problem with the law. And it's not that it excluded the Gentiles, but that it does not and cannot provide a basis of worth before God. In other words, the law can't make you right with God. The only way that can happen is holy and only in Christ. That's the only way. So Paul's kind of getting at this, and he's reminding himself of this, and he's building into this thing about, back to this question of the Jews and the Gentiles, of why the message isn't succeeding, and he's reminding himself that this truth First of all, that righteousness only comes through Christ. That's the only way to be righteous. And then he gets in this really strange section. So if you were listening to the reading there, verses 5 through 8, where it gets in this, like, Moses said this, and then there was this, and there's a bunch of Old Testament quotes, and it was kind of confusing. Anybody confused by that section? Yeah. It's confusing. I don't, I don't fully... But I want us to, like, again, when we've been doing Romans, one of the things you may have noticed, I mean, Mike's got to point out, we read a really long passage. I mean, there was a lot going on there. And so we don't get time necessarily to get into every verse and what every little thing means, but I want to highlight a couple of things what I think Paul is getting at here. And I think the key, so he talks about Moses and righteousness by the law, and then he contrasts that with righteousness by faith. And he's saying those two aren't the same thing. There's, there's righteousness by law and righteousness by faith. One works righteousness by faith. One doesn't work righteousness by law. But the key, I think, in that little, that first part of the section is verse 8. He says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. What he's saying is the source of life is near. Don't go looking everywhere. He's saying, don't go looking everywhere for the source of life because it's near. It's Jesus. It's, and so it's here and now in Jesus. And so he's picking up this language. He's saying, Oh, you may be looking here, you're looking there, and you're wondering, well, if the law of righteousness doesn't come from the law, where is it? And you're looking, oh, Paul's saying, it's right here. It's near. It's in Jesus. And then he takes that same language about word and mouth and heart in verses 9 and 10, where he says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so he kind of picks this up. And I remember learning this verse years ago, and part of this the whole thing is like, oh, here's the thing, if we, if we do this. But we fit it into Paul's larger argument, and he's saying, here's the response. So if righteousness comes through Jesus and not through following the law, how do we respond to it? And he said, well, here's the response. It's faith belief. It's trust. You know, to confess with your mouth, declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And that language of Jesus is Lord is saying, Jesus is the king. 
Jesus is the reigning and saving king. And so when we call someone king, that includes what? Listening to the king. It's declaring him as the king. And believe in your heart that God raises the dead, recognizing that God is the one who made us right. And so there's this confession of saying, this is what it looks like. This is our response. Our righteousness can't be obtained through the law. Our righteousness is obtained through Jesus. And our part in that is to put our faith, our believing allegiance, our trust in who Jesus is. And then the question is, well, is that true for everybody? And that's what he goes on to say. He says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So again, where the Jews had set up a contrast between righteousness by the law, between the Jews and the Gentiles, Paul's saying there's no distinction. There's no difference that righteousness, and again, righteousness is two things. It's God declaring us innocent and it's God making us right. It's open to everybody. It's an open invitation. For everyone who calls on the name, it's an open invitation for all who, and then the response is to call on the name of the Lord. So kind of backing up and kind of quick summary of where we've been flying through, he says, righteousness is not something we do on our own. We can't make ourselves righteous. The Jews were pursuing it with zeal and they were following the law, which was good, but they can't do it. Not even zealously pursuing God's law can bring, make you right with God. The law pointed to Christ, but righteousness or justification or being saved, kind of all different ways of saying really much the same thing, is only through Christ. Jesus is the only way, and it's only by confessing calling him Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, putting our faith, our trust in him, giving him our allegiance. These are the only way to be saved. And as Paul's talking about this, he's saying, well, okay, if that's true, he thinks back to his fellow Israelites and says, well, if that's true, then what do we need to do? If they need Jesus, how can they know? And he kind of goes through this whole section here. It says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching? And so he's kind of backing through this thing. He's saying, if the key to righteousness, if the way to righteousness, if the way to salvation is Jesus, then we need to tell people about Jesus. And how, or, or to back it up, it's like, how can people know about Jesus, or how can they believe in Jesus? Well, how can they believe in Jesus? They have to hear about Jesus. Well, how can they hear about Jesus? Somebody has to tell them about Jesus, which means we need to tell people about Jesus. And he's back up and saying, this is what it's all about. Someone has to tell them. And he even goes on, but then later he's like, well, wait a minute. I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. And he's thinking, well, but we've been telling them. And it's like, well, wait a minute. So... To be saved, they have to hear the message. In order to hear the message, somebody has to tell them. But the problem is we've been telling them. So what's going on? They heard it, but they didn't do it. And Paul makes this little twist even in verse 19 where he says, didn't Israel not understand? For Moses said, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. And he kind of paints this picture. He's like, well, maybe it's the case that Israel's not listening, but the Gentiles being saved might make Israel envious and say, well, wait a minute, how come they're being saved? And begin to listen. 
And then we hear again about God's mercy in unexpected ways. Verse 20, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And he concludes it with a picture of God's open arms. All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And so here's the picture. The good news has gone out to all. But some haven't believed it. So what's God's response to it? Does God kind of throw his hands up and say, man, I've told these people. And they're just not listening. And he says, no, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. And that's, what's, that's what God is like. He doesn't, God doesn't act like we do. Okay, God doesn't act like I do. I'll say that. I'll speak for myself. God doesn't act like I do. Because for me, sometimes I tell somebody, and after two or three times of telling them, and if they're not listening, I just kind of like forget it. I'm done. But look at what God does. God has told his people again and again. And he refers to them, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. How many of you know disobedient, or how many of you people, how many of you, well, we won't say disobedient, how many of you know obstinate people? Okay. We won't ask if that's your spouse you're referring to or not, but we, we all know obstinate people. We all know people who are stubborn and just won't seem to listen no matter how many times we tell them, no matter how, how hard we try to convince them that we're right and they're wrong. They just don't listen. <laughs> Why isn't my kids laughing at that one? That's what I don't know. <laughs> Just saying. So, but, but we all know that feeling of that there are people who are obstinate who just don't want to listen. And my tendency is after a couple times of telling somebody who doesn't want to listen to what I have to say, I'm just like, I am done. I don't want to tell. I don't want to have this conversation. I'm not going to try and convince you anymore. But what God shows us here is this incredible mercy that he has. What he's reminding Paul is that God is the one who held, holds out his hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. That God has this incredible mercy for us. And I think Paul is reminding himself of that. He's saying to himself, because he's been having this feeling of, why am I doing this? It doesn't feel like this is successful. It doesn't feel like things are happening right. I see so many of my brothers and sisters, my fellow Jews, who aren't listening. And then he reminds himself, but my call isn't to make them listen. My call isn't to convince them. My call is to tell them, to tell them about Jesus. And then my call is to be like Jesus to be like who God is and to hold out my hands to an obstinate people. To continue to be welcoming and to, to continue to open my arms and to give an invitation. And so Paul's wrapping all this again, all these verses, all these different twists and things going on. And I think that's what he's getting at. He's getting at this picture. He's saying, mercy, God's righteousness is extended to everybody. And Paul's letter isn't just to a church in Rome 2,000 years ago. His words are for people today. That God's invitation is for everybody. That God doesn't exclude. 
when he says it's not for Jew or Gentile. It's not, he's looking around, he's saying, there's not a limit on who gets invited to God's kingdom. That everyone is invited. So we sometimes, well, but don't, you don't know about that person's past. You don't know what they're like. Paul's saying, no. The invitation from God to know Jesus is an invitation for all. And he's also saying the path to salvation, the path to righteousness, the path to justification, the path to relationship with God is the same for everybody. There's not a secret way that pastors get in or there's not a special way for some people or some people don't go this way. And some people, They say there's one way and it's only through Jesus. And the great thing about that is that path is calling on Jesus. That's what he asks us to do. He's going to ask us to do more because we declare our allegiance and then we're believing and we're putting our faith and our trust in him and beginning to be obedient. But it begins there with this call out to Jesus. No matter where you're at. And so he's inviting for some, he's saying, if you're looking for that, if you want to be changed and transformed, here's your invitation to call on the name of Jesus. No other way. You don't have to dress up a certain way. You don't have to do certain things. You don't have to, it isn't about making sure that you're sitting in the pew every Sunday or singing the right songs or giving a certain amount to the church or following all the laws, which are all good things to do, but that's not the path. The path to salvation, the path to righteousness is Jesus and Jesus alone and to call on his name. Many of us are sitting here and saying, well, I've done that. Well, then Paul has another invitation to us. And it's to be like him, and that's to extend that invitation to others. To begin to think about it and to say, if the gospel, if this is really good news for everybody, if it's really good news for everybody, and I believe it is, if it's really good news for everybody, then we have a call to extend that invitation, to deliver it. You know, sometimes we think, well, if I just... Sometimes St. Francis of Assisi is... Um, misquoted, I believe, by saying, you know, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. I don't think St. Francis ever said anything like that. Because St. Francis believed that you have to tell people about Jesus. Sometimes I think, well, just, you know, it's the good things I do and people will see the good things I do. Well, people may see good things you're doing. But eventually you have to tell them about Jesus. They're not just going to see the good things you do and automatically figure out, well, wait, Wow, they're just really good. Just such a kind and loving person and so patient. They, they love people who are different from them. Oh, I know. I must have to give my life to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You actually have to tell people about Jesus. And so it's in a call for us to extend that invitation, to be intentional in doing that, and to look and say, if people don't know, then we have to tell them. You know? So if the gospel's for all, it has to be delivered to all. I remember way back when I first started in some of my first years in vocational ministry, um, it was the 1999, you know, leading up into 2000. So if you're around in that time, 2000 was this big year. You know, there was something significant about 2000. And maybe you believe like, you know, like the planes were going to fall out of the sky and everything, you know, everything was going to crash when the 
clock rolled over. But 2000 was this big turning point in time. And there was an organization called Mission America 2000, and the goal was to you know, reach every household in America with the good news of Jesus. And I think that's what it is. But their thinking was right, because if the gospel is for all, it has got to be delivered to all. We can't just assume, and we live, particularly in the world in which we live, that fewer and fewer people know about who Jesus is. And so we have to be intentional in telling them. We've talked before, one of the challenges in church and the Evangelical Covenant Church is a part of that. When we've looked at when our denomination has had interviews and conversations with congregations around the country, one of the top challenges every, nearly every congregation faces is evangelism or this telling people about Jesus. And there's lots of reasons. We're not going to go through all those reasons, but I think one of the first things we can do, begin to do, is just be intentional about it. To be thinking about, how can I tell people, what am I going to do in my life to tell people about Jesus? How am I going to arrange my life in such a way that I have opportunities to tell people about Jesus? And then, am I going to be willing to do it? And willing to do it knowing that sometimes people aren't going to listen. Because I have to remind myself, Paul, I mean, we think of this guy like, I mean, he was the hero. He started all these churches. He was going around and everywhere people were listening to him. There were a lot of people listening to him but there were a whole bunch more who didn't listen to him. In fact, if you read the stories of Paul, he also talks about all the times he got beaten, thrown in jail, kicked out of towns. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Carl, I thought you were supposed to be encouraging me to go do evangelism. I am, but, but, but to realize it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. But it's what God has called us to do. So the gospel is the power of God for all. I mean, the gospel is the power of God for all, for all who believe, but not all will believe. But so don't be discouraged, but remind ourselves of this, that God has given us and shown us incredible mercy in Christ. And then he's inviting us to look and to say, how can we share that same mercy with others? So I would invite us to be intentional. Think through your week, your days, and think, what are the opportunities I have? Who are the people I know that I can tell about Jesus and share this life? And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be able to explain all of Romans 9 through 11. Because if you had to explain all of Romans 9 through 11 and all that it means and all these complicated things, then none of us would be able to do it. But what can we tell people? We can tell people that there's this God who loves us and wants to live in relationship with us and will make us right and will change our lives. And he's inviting us and there's no preconditions, there's no things that we have to do, but God has done it and will continue to make us right. And he invites us all. So we have been called to be those people. And I hear the, this quote that Paul uses from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's this picture of someone running gospel, this good news, this picture of a messenger coming and announcing good news. And a picture of a man standing or maybe a watchman standing on the walls of the tower and waiting to hear and they're looking out across the desert and they, across the wilderness and they see someone come running they say, oh, they're bringing good news. 
how beautiful that is. And so it's a reminder to us that we may be discouraged. It may be hard. It may be challenging. But God has invited us to share that good news, to tell people about Jesus. And so may our feet be beautiful. May we tell people about Jesus and announce that God's mercy is open to all.